Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Today, my message is entitled, Every Little Thing. And I'm going to be challenging you to think small. Not to be small-minded. Some of you already know how to do that. I'm going to be trying to get you to think about the small things and the little things in life. How many of you have noticed that in life, things kind of trend towards big and then to small and then swings back to big again? I mean, I mean think of cars, for example. You know, we, have all these, we had all these big cars, and then we swung over to small cars, and then the big cars came back, and now we're back into small cars. And it pretty much follows the price of gas, right? And even in housing, they do it. Have you seen the tiny houses people are building? Have you seen these things? They make shows about it, tiny houses. I'd love a little house like that for my lawnmower. And I don't want to live in that, but I'd like it as a storage shed. And uh, you know, one of the things that kind of cracks me up the most is, is the cell phones. I don't know if you remember the first cell phone that came out in 1981. Here was the first cell phone, very first cell Look at the size of that puppy. I mean, it was the same, si same time when the cargo pants were in style, because that's what you needed to load that phone into the side. I had one of those phones. It weighed like eight pounds. And then gradually the phones got smaller and smaller and smaller and some of you remember about 20 years ago the movie Zoolander came out and the big joke was him with his tiny little cell phone remember this the little matchbox size cell phone now how many have been shopping for a cell phone lately have you noticed what direction they're going they're getting bigger and bigger have you seen the latest iPhone have you seen it check out the latest iPhone <laughs> It's called the ice lab. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying. It seems too big to me, I'm just saying. And, you know, here's my point in all of this. You know, we get bigger and bigger, and then we have to go back to small because the things that really matter in life are actually the small things. I mean, how important are the two words, thank you? How important is it for you to get the words, thank you, after you've done something for someone else? How important is that? That's pretty important. How important is a smile? Well, if you work for tips, it's very important, you know, like me. I mean, the, the, smile, the smile is immensely important. How important is a laugh, to have a good laugh once in a while? How important are these three words, I love you? How important are those words? I mean, if you're married, the most important words that you'll ever say. I mean, Kathy asked me just the other day, she says, how come you don't say I love you anymore? I said, look, I told you 40 years ago when we got married, if it changes, I'll let you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but true, sto true story, we did celebrate this year our 40th wedding anniversary. <laughs> hey? I, I know what you were thinking, were you eight? Yeah, I was eight, she was four. You know, you have to do the math on these things. But, but here's what happened. We went out for dinner, and we were pretty excited. 40th anniversary, we were out for dinner. And of course, we were telling everybody, so we told the waitress it was our 40th anniversary. And she asked this question. She said, what's the secret to staying married for 40 years? And without missing a beat, Kathy said, I think the secret has been that we've both been in love with the same man for 40 years. <laughs> Again, another true story. 
So, so, you know, when it comes to the small things, the small things that are really what's important. If you want to be successful in your marriage, successful in your relationships, successful in your family, successful in your career, successful in your business, I'm telling you, it's the small things, the little things that make a difference. Every little thing. So I want to talk about Jesus for a moment because we probably don't recognize at first blush how preoccupied Jesus was with the little things because he was always doing these great and grand things, raising people from the dead and doing all these miracles. But if you really look closely at what he taught and what he did, his uh, preoccupation was really with the small things. So he tells us this. There's lots of stories I could tell you, but one in particular is the story of the parable of the talents. And you remember this master had three servants and he sent them out and he gave one five talents and one two talents and, and one one talent. And the reason I love that story is the use of the word talent. Now, we know historically that that was a, a, a matter of money. It was a, a unit of money. But I love the fact that to us, it sounds like skills, doesn't it? It sounds like your talent and your skill and, and the things that you have. Because here's, let's be honest about this. All men are equal in value, but we're not all equal. I mean, people have different talents, don't they? There are some people that are so immensely talented, it's not even fair. I mean, Elon Musk, is a thousand times smarter than you, not twice as smart. I mean, Roger Federer is a thousand times better tennis player than I am. Michael Jordan is a thousand times better at basketball than you are. So we're not all created equal. But here's the thing that is important to God. He doesn't care about what you start with. He doesn't care about how talented he has made you or how effective you are in life. What matters to him is faithfulness. So he sends these three out, five talents, two talents, one talent. The one with five talent gained how much more? Five more talents. The one with two talents, how much more? Two talents. The one with one talent did what? Buried it in the ground. Now, here's what I don't want you to miss. He gave the same commendation to the one with five as the one that two, had two. So it wasn't important what they started with. What was important is what they did with what they had. And the only one he condemned, the only one he gave condemnation to was the one who had one and did nothing with it. He would have received, how many believe he would have received the same reward had he been faithful with the one thing? And, and here's, here's what he says to the other two. Too. He says it twice. First to the five, first to, then to the two. It's Matthew 25, verse 21. This is what it says. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Say over a little. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, don't miss this. Is that it's not important, again, I'll say it again, what we start with is whether we are faithful with the little things that God gives us. And if you won't be faithful with the little things, he'll never give you more. And all the great things and all the stupendous things and all the extraordinary things you find in Scripture all started with something small. You know, a number of years ago, I was asked to come into a Bible school and to teach the Bible students about preaching. Why they asked me, I'll never know, but they did. And so I was there for three weeks, and I did an hour for, for three weeks. And so the first two hours, two weeks, I, I taught on it. And then I, I changed my mind. I thought, for the last week, I'm going to give them an assignment. So I said, look, we have one more week, and next week, this is what I'd like to do with our hour. I would like to give 12 of you an opportunity to preach for five minutes each. And so you prepare a message, you'll stand up before the class, and you'll do five minutes each. And so I want 
want 12 volunteers that'll do this. So at the end of the class, I, I said to, to one of the guys, I figured he had lots of potential, I said, Louie, you're gonna do five minutes next week? And he said, no way. He said, why would I go to all that trouble for five minutes? He says, if you give me the whole hour, I'm in. And I said it very nicely. Well, I didn't say it nicely at all. What I said to him was this. I said, if you're not prepared to preach for five minutes, no one will ever ask you to preach for an hour. How many think he ever preached for an hour? He never preached ever because he was not willing to be faithful in the small things. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to, we're going to look at the things, the little things that are important. And there's many, many of them, many little things that matter. And I'm just going to look at four. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. Here's four little things that matter. Every little thing matters. Every little word matters. Every little prayer matters. And every little person matters. So we're going to start with this one. Every little thing matters. I think we learned that lesson in 1986 when they sent up the Space Shuttle Challenger. How many of you remember this? How many of you remember what happened to the Space Shuttle Challenger when it went up 73 seconds into the air, it exploded into a million pieces, killing seven people and scattering them up and down the coast of Florida. And how many of you remember what the cause of this explosion was? It was an O-ring, it's exactly right. Now, it was a big O-ring, but it was still just an O-ring. And there was this O-ring that separated the fuel cell from the rocket, and it kept the two from mixing and igniting, and they knew that this O-ring was a potential problem, and it had a one in eight chance of failing if the temperature was below freezing. That particular morning, it was one degree below freezing, and they launched anyway and that ship exploded 73 seconds into the flight, killing those seven people, destroying a $1.3 billion spacecraft, and setting the space program back for years. All because they didn't attend to the littlest of detail. Now, I know what people say. They say, well, you know what they say, the devil's in the details. I would like to correct that. The devil's not in the details. You know who's in the details? God. If there was ever a detailed person, if God's a person, it is God. He is so concerned about the, the details. He is so concerned. When you look at the universe, I know a lot of times what we do is we zoom the lens out, we look in the telescope, and we become like David in Psalm 8 when he said, when I consider the heavens, the sun, and the moon, and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? He was overwhelmed by the cosmos. But I think you can get just as overwhelmed by looking into a microscope and looking at how God has given attention to every single detail right down to the molecular level, right down to the very smallest thing. I could spend the next hour showing you pictures of tiny things and the extraordinary detail that God put into them. But I don't have an hour, but I'll take, I'll take a minute. And I'll show you pictures of insects, because you all love insects. We think we hate insects. I think God loves insects. Look at the trouble he went to. Look at this first one. This is the Picasso bug. It's smaller than your fingernail, by the way. It's much smaller than that picture. Uh, you know why they named it that. Look at this one. This is the, the rainbow cricket. How, how about this one? This is the flower mantis. It's a mantis, but it looks like a flower, and that's their disguise, and look at the detail that was put into that. How about this next one? 
This is the jewel bug. And I mean, I could show you picture after picture, even the common house fly. If you zoom in close, it's an extraordinary work of art. And God is so interested in the details. And when you look at nature, and whether you look into the, into the sky, or whether you look into the mountains, or you look into the seas, or wherever you look, what you see is you see the minute details of creation screaming back to us that there is intelligent design. See, this is what the verse says. I'll, I'll read it to you. It's in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. He says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understand through the things which were made. The things that he created point back to him. And we look at those things and we think, they can't exist just because of an accident. They exist because God attended to the details, the little things, every little thing. Let me ask you this question. How many of you are detail people? Self-proclaimed detail people. Let me see your hands. Really? Like 15 of you? The rest of you are just bumbling through life? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're being honest about it. We're not all detail people. I consider myself a detail person. Kathy says I'm not, but that's only in comparison to her. I'm a detail guy. I am so particular, I drive myself crazy and everybody around me. I'm, I'm that guy, you've got this neighbor. You know that neighbor? He's the one that's out power washing his driveway because he wants to be able to eat off it. I'm that guy. You got that neighbor whose lawn is always perfectly mowed within an inch of its life and it's done on a crosshatch pattern like this, corner to corner. Do you know that guy? I'm that guy. And there's not a weed in the grass because of the pesticides, nor do we have any birds or insects or pets either. They're all dead. But man, do I have nice grass. And I'm the guy whose car always gleams in the sun because it's perfectly clean. My car's always clean. How many of you keep your car always clean? Who are those guys? Oh boy, there's even less of us. A few of the detailed people, not very many of us. And people always ask me this question. Every week, someone asks me this question. How do you keep your car so clean? And I lie to them and I say, it's a magical car that just stays clean. Well, there is, there is a secret to keeping your car clean. I know some of you are going to think, wash it. Well, that's one, one secret. There's another secret. You want to know the secret? Would you like to know the secret? There is a secret to keeping your... I, I know this. I should get paid for this. This is going to be an advertisement. Canadian Tire should pay me for this. Uh, I'll, I'll show you the secret to keeping your car clean. And this is no joke, people. It's the California brush. Have you seen the California brush? You got one? There's my detail guy in the room. The California brush, I love this thing. It's 35 bucks at Canadian Tire, and in one minute, your car is gleaming. Says right on the package, the dirtier it gets, the better it works. Says right on, lasts for years and will not scratch finish. I'm telling you, want a clean car, people? $35 at Canadian Tire, the kickback is coming my way. I hope anyway. So some of you are thinking, that's ridiculous. No, it's not ridiculous. If you go to a car show, what is the thing that stands out between those cars at the car show and your car? The detail work, the detail work, everything's clean. You look under the car and the muffler is chromed and everything is shiny. You open the door and everything is clean and everything is perfect. And the reason it is a show car is because someone attended to the detail. When you look at a work of art, what, what distinguishes a work of art from your drawings that you do on a napkin? 
The detail. You look at the Sistine Chapel and you think, what is going on there? Why is this fresco so incredible? Because Michelangelo spent months of his life painting the ceiling with every exquisite detail. Like Bob Ross said, right? Happy little trees and happy little clouds. <laughs> and everything in life is about detail when you think about it. the little things actually really do matter. If you go to a great movie, a really great movie, we'll always pay attention to the little things, the little details. Kathy and I watched recently the, the new Elvis movie. Have you seen the new Elvis movie? Any of you seen this? It's actually a pretty good movie if you, if you like music movies, which I do. But at the end of the movie, I was thinking about it because I thought, within five minutes into that movie, this actor stars Tom Hanks and, and Austin Butler. And after, after five minutes, I thought I was watching Elvis. I thought, why was that so much like Elvis? Why did I think I was watching the real Elvis? And I went and looked it up, and of course they talk about these things online. And this kid, Austin Butler, spent a year and a half training to be uh, Elvis. He watched every nuance and every intonation of his voice and every little kind of movement that he made, and he, he became Elvis. And then the, the director, Baz Luhrmann, he said, we wanted to get the hair perfect, and whatever amount of time it took, before we did a scene, the hair had to be perfect. And I mean, look at these two pictures. This guy really does look like Elvis. And I couldn't help but thinking all the way through the movie, I thought, I love this guy's hair. I kept on saying that. And you know, you think, why do you care about hair? I'll tell you, God cares about, about hair, people. It says every hair on your head is numbered. Are you catching this man? That changes every single day when you go into the shower and he has to keep track. And you know what it's like for men, right? There's three hairstyles, parted, unparted, and departed. <laughs> ask, ask Pastor Steve, he'll tell you all about it. He knows, he knows what I'm talking about. So I, I'm sort of having a little fun here, but the reason I'm pointing this out to you is when you go into the scripture, you recognize how Jesus is interested in the little things, the little details. And he has story after story after story. And I'm going to tell you one that you'll all remember. And it's about the little things and being faithful in the little things. So it's the feeding of the 5,000. It's one of the great miracles. And I mean, it wasn't 5,000. It was 5,000 men plus women plus children. So it's 10. It's 15. It's 20,000 people. And of course, they had been there out in the wilderness for three days. They had no food. He didn't want to send them away lest they fainted on their way back. So he says to his disciples... What do you have to feed them? Who remembers what they had? Five loaves, two little fishes. Five loaves, two little fishes. Now, I have a question for you. If Jesus came to you, you were in that crowd, there's 20,000 people, you're his, you're, you're his right-hand man or woman, and Jesus comes to you and says, so what do you got to feed these 10,000, 20,000 people? And you said, I've got five loaves and two fishes, you know what I would have done? Just be honest. What would you have done? Would you have said, let's go for this? Let's do it. We can do this. We can probably stretch it. No, you would have said, Lord, it's not going to work. Why don't you and I eat this? Let them fend for themselves. <laughs> right? That's what I would have done. You, you would have done this too, right? That's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, good enough. That's enough. We'll be faithful in the little tiny bit we have. So don't miss this. He took the little fishes and then he put them into little circles. And then he said a little prayer. It was just a tiny little prayer, wasn't it? And then what he did was he multiplied that food and fed all of these people. And there was 12 baskets of fragments left over. Have you done the math? 
That's one for every disciple. It's a pretty good deal. What Jesus did was he took what little he had, he was faithful with it, and the great, one of the greatest miracles in Scripture took place because they dealt and attended to the smallest of details. We actually had this happen uh, in a leader's, we were doing a leader's appreciation night. We had about 250 people out. We were serving them dinner. The staff was doing the serving. And I don't know who messed up to this day, but somebody did, and they ordered half the food we needed. And as soon as we started putting the food out, everybody said, there's not enough food here. There's no way we're going to that we're going to feed 250 people. So the first thing I did was I said this, none of the staff are eating. <laughs> that was the first thing I said. Second thing I said, I said, go look in the fridge. What's in the fridge? What's in the freezer? So they came back. I said, what's in there? They said, not much. And I said, well, I don't care what it is. Pull it out, throw it in the microwave. <laughs> and so they started going to the freezer and they were pulling out like pizza pops and popsicles <laughs> and pierogies. We were serving chicken and potatoes out here. And yet we were pulling out all these bizarre remnants and bits of leftovers. And I didn't care what it was. I said, whatever it is, heat it up. Someone pulled something out and says, I've had no idea what this is. I said, heat it up. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll feed it anyway. Now, you're not going to be surprised by this. We just kept on bringing out, we hardly had anything. And I thought, there's no way we're going to feed everybody. But you know, by the end of the night, every single person had been fed. Some people had seconds. And guess what? We even let the staff eat. Wasn't that generous of us? <laughs> and see, this is what happens when we are faithful to the small things. See, the greatest miracles actually almost always start with something small. Now, I have another verse I want to share with you. It's, it's really important. It's Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. Because Mother Teresa said this. She said, we can do few great things for God, only small things in great love. Most of us don't believe that, but it's absolutely true. Every great thing that we see for God started with something small. So here's what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 42. He said, whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple. Assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. And one of the big mistakes I think that we make in life is this, is that too many times we're looking for the, the big score, the big hit in life, and we want to do something grand. And we want, well, I understand that. We want to do something meaningful with our life. But if you get focused on the big and miss out the small, I'm telling you, you'll never get the big. And I, I had a friend... He was in business for 40 years, still in business. And he was always looking for the next big score. He was always looking for the next big thing. And so every time I saw him, he was in a new business. He was just jumping from one business to the other. And I'm telling you what, he never got the big score. He never got the big thing because he would not be faithful to the small things. And he struggled and bumped away in life, not recognizing that the things that really make the difference in this world are the little things. It's little things that matter. So I want to tell you a story about Kelly. Kelly uh, was a young gal in, in our church. She was in our youth group. And uh, when she was 10 years old, she had watched this YouTube video of another 10-year-old who decided he was going to put together backpacks for homeless people. And she said, at 10 years old, she said, I can do that. 10-year-old. And so she started putting together some backpacks and giving them to homeless people at 10 years old. She started telling her friends about it, and they started doing it. And, uh, and the first year, the very first year at 10 years old, she gave away, you ready for this? 185 backpacks full of supplies and cleaning supplies and towels and stuff to the homeless people in our city. 
And here's a picture of, of Callie. She's sitting in her house and these supplies and towels and water bottles and stuff just kept on coming in and coming in and coming in. She started with one backpack and it just grew and grew. And then she went on to social media and uh, she, it was called Callie's Backpacks for the Winnipeg's Homeless. She won awards for this. School divisions were giving her awards. People were writing this story up in, in the newspaper. And uh, then she was giving away several hundred every year. Our youth group, here's a picture of our youth group back then. Our youth group got involved with it. And, and, and we were putting together these backpacks. And so she did it for about 10 years. And a 10-year-old girl, starting with one backpack, by the time she was done, had distributed five or 6,000 backpacks to homeless people in the city of Winnipeg. So don't ever despise the day of small beginnings, the scripture says, for its increase shall be great. So the first thing is that every little thing matters. The second thing is every little word matters. Tell you a little story, historical. Uh, 1631, you remember in the early 1600s, the King James Bible was created, the first Bible in the English language for broad distribution. King Charles in 1631 decided he was going to print thousands and thousands of the King James Bible to distribute to the English people so that everybody would have a Bible in their own language. Turned out after the printing, there was one tiny word because every word matters, and one tiny word was omitted. And it was in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Normally that verse would say, thou shalt not commit adultery. And they left out the not. And instead it read, thou shalt commit adultery. When King Charles found out, he recalled the Bible. He had them all destroyed. And there was only 11 copies that are still in circulation today. They're collector's items and they're worth millions of dollars. And they have been dubbed the Wicked Bible. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if Prince Charles owns one of those. <laughs> just, just, a, just a thought. Hey, hey, fun fact on this. Do you know that in 1981, Prince Charles married Diana? And in that same year, Liverpool won the, the uh, Champions Cup and, and the Pope died in that same year. And then in 2005, Prince Charles married Camilla. You know what happened that year? Liverpool won the Champions Cup in soccer and the Pope died. You know what the moral of this story is? If Charles remarries again, someone needs to warn the Pope. That's the moral of that story. And so, so here's, here's my point in this. Every little word matters. Some of you have probably read the book by Malcolm Gladwell, Tipping Point. How many of you read this book or know this book? And uh, the subtitle is How Little Things Can Make a Big Difference. And in it, he tells the story of 1775. It was Paul Revere's midnight ride where he rode through the streets saying, who remembers? Four words, the British are coming. The British are coming. And he felt that that was a tipping point, and he believed that historically you can trace the winning of the War of Independence back to those four words, the British are coming. And see, every single word matters. And we sometimes forget this, and Jesus gave us a big warning in Scripture. Do you know what the warning is? He said that in the day of judgment, you will have to give account for every idle word. How many of you make that a little bit nervous? If I'm judged for every idle word, I'm going straight to hell. How about you? Yeah, you're coming with, you're coming with me, man. Don't, don't look at me so sanctimoniously. 
Because this is what the scripture says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. There is power in words. And sometimes we forget that. And sometimes we let things slip out of our mouth. And sometimes we forget that every single little word matters. How do you remember the brother-sister duo, the Carpenters from the 1970s, Richard and Karen Carpenter. Some of you remember that? Here's, here's a picture of them. And uh, some of you might forget that Karen Carpenter died at the age of 32 of heart failure brought on by anorexia nervosa. She starved herself to death at 32. There was a documentary done on her life, and it was determined that the turning point was four little words a reviewer was reviewing them one day and in the newspaper said this and referred to Karen Carpenter as Richard's chubby little sister. Those four words destroyed her psychologically, changed the whole vector in her life, and she literally starved herself to death. We forget how powerful words are. And I don't know if you've ever heard this term, but it's called a negativity bias. And they've done research project after research project after research project on this. And they've determined that human beings have what is called negativity bias, meaning this, we're more affected by negative comments and negative actions than we are by positive. So give you an example. Uh, you know, you're at work and you've done some project and three people come up to you and say, hey, great job, Jim, great job, great job. And one person criticizes you and you go home and you say to your wife, everybody hated what I did. What are you talking about? They, they, they all loved it, but one person didn't like it. And the negativity bias tells us this. And here's a, just a little diagram of it, just to kind of visualize. What happens is we have all these good things and all these proper things said about us, but for whatever reason, psychologically, our brain gives more credence to negative comments and negative actions. And we focus on the negative things. And they have discovered that it takes five positive words to undo every one negative word. And they've done research, you can look it up, the Gottman Institute, which basically studies marriage and language and communication within marriage. And they can predict with almost perfect certainty what marriages are gonna end up in divorce. And if you are not giving at least five positive words for every negative one, your marriage is already in trouble. And it's just because of the way that we are wired psychologically, every little word matters. So let me tell you a little autobiographical story about this. Uh, I've mentioned in the past, I've regaled you with stories of how I was a classic underachiever uh, when I was a child. I was just as dumb as a post, and there's just no other way to put it to you. And I've told you stories about how I struggled through grade one and how I couldn't read and, and I was getting behind the class, and it's all true. And one of the things they did in, in those days, this might surprise some of you that are younger, was they used a lot of humiliation techniques to motivate you. Didn't work really good. Uh, if you got an answer wrong, they'd smack you with a ruler. I'm not making this up. How many of you remember stuff like this? How many of you are old enough? Steve, you don't look old enough for this, but I would smack you if I was your teacher. And <laughs> anyway, they'd smack us with a ruler. They would make us go stand in the corner to humiliate us if we got an answer wrong. They would make you, the dumb kids sit in the back row. And so I rode the back bench all of grade one. There was no doubt about this. In fact, all the way through elementary school, every six months, they sent me to have my hearing tested. They told my parents, he must be deaf because no one could be this stupid. 
This is, this is a true story on this. So anyway, my best friend was, was David Watson, and we were the original Dumb and Dumber. I was dumb, and he was dumber. And at the end of grade one, I've told you this story before, at the end of grade one, they had to split us up. And they, they failed him, left him in grade one. They sent me forward to grade two. They wanted to split us up because they were afraid we were going to make a movie about us, Dumb and Dumbers. They were afraid of that happened. I, I was Jim Carrey. Um, Anyway, so they moved me forward into grade one. I go into grade, or grade two, rather. I go into grade two, I can't read. And so I'll never forget this. Mrs. Dupre was my grade two teacher. It's the only teacher I can remember from elementary school by name. And in a minute, you'll know why. And I remember we, she was doing roll call for the very first time. She called my name. She looked at me and said, Mark Hughes, I have heard all about you, and I don't believe a word of it. And Mrs. Dupre set about the mission to take the dumbest kid in the class and turn him around. And she was convinced that she could teach me how to read. And when, it, when she discovered I couldn't read a single word, she started giving me comic books. And everybody else was in the Dick and Jane Reader, and I was reading Archie comic books. And she was giving me comic books. And, and the kids, the rest of the kids, they said, how come Mark gets to read comic books? To which Mrs. Dupre said, that's because Mark is special. She invented that word. That was invented for me. This, this is all true. She, 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 you know, she said he's special. And so then I go home with comic books. My mother would say, why are you bringing home comic books from school? And I said, well, I'm just so far ahead of the rest of the class. They're all still stuck on Dick and Jane Reader. I've already advanced to comic books, and I'm reading Archie comic books. And here's what Mrs. Dupre did. She never treated me like a dummy. She always talked to me like I knew what was going on. She always treated me like I was the smartest person in the room. And here I am decades later, and I still think I'm the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> I know you're clapping because it's a good story, not because you think I'm the smartest guy in the room. So the first thing is this, every little thing matters. Second thing is every little word matters. Third thing is every little prayer matters. And so when you look at the prayers in scripture, I know we think that prayer is some great art form and that they need to be elaborate and articulate in order for God to answer them. Have you looked at the prayers in scripture? Have you looked how simple they are? They're tiny little prayers is all they are. Joshua made the sun stand still. Do you remember how his prayer went? He said, sun, stand still. And the sun stood still. Do you remember how Jesus raised Lazarus? Anybody remember the words? Lazarus, come forth. Do you remember how John and Paul raised up the paralytic at the beautiful gate in Acts chapter 3? They said to him, silver and gold have we none, but what we have we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk! And grabbed his hand, and up that man rose. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Every little prayer matters. So let me just tell you one quick story on this. In the Second World War, there was an Allied fighter. It was in the Pacific. It had got, came under gunfire by the Japanese and they hit the fuel tank, and the fuel was leaking out. They were 800 miles over the Pacific, away from their base, and the fuel was all running out. There was a chaplain on board, and he said, I'm going to pray, boys. And he prayed, Lord, give us a runway to land on. They all laughed at him. They thought, there's not going to be a runway in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. 
Well, just then, a little dot appeared in the horizon, an uninhabited island. They flew to the island. There was a big meadow in the middle of the island, and they landed the plane perfectly, not even damaging the landing gear on this deserted island. Now they're stuck on an island in the middle of the Pacific with no fuel. So the chaplain prays again. And he said, well, I'm going to pray that God will bring us aircraft fuel. And they laughed again. They thought, you're serious, chaplain? There's not going to be any aircraft fuel on this island. He says, let me pray. So he prays a prayer, Lord, bring us aircraft fuel. They sent out a scouting party. They went down to the beach. And on the beach, they had discovered that a, an American aircraft carrier had been sunken. And all of these barrels of aircraft fluid had floated up on the beach. They rolled them over, patched up the hole, filled up the plane, took off and made it back safely to base. These things shouldn't happen, but I'll tell you why they do. Every little prayer matters. The big things in life that happen, they happen with little prayers. What, did, what kind of faith did Jesus tell you should, you should have? Do you remember? Mustard, seed, faith. And he said, if you would have... See, faith as a mustard seed, which is the smallest of seeds, you could say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and it will obey you. Everything you look at in scripture, if you put on this lens of the small, you discover little things matter. So number one, every little thing matters. Number two, every little word matters. Number three, every little prayer matters. Number four, every little person matters. You know, let's be honest about this. We don't always value everybody equally, do we? I mean, we know that we're all created equal in the, in the eyes of God, but then we walk down the street and we see a homeless person passed out on the sidewalk, and I know, and I'm not judging you, I know that you think that person's life is worth less than yours or your family's or people you know. And it's just human nature, and we forget that in God's sight, every little person matters. And that's why he said, if you will give a cup of water to this little one, you shall not lose your reward. So let me close with one final story here. So Agnes grew up in a home where her, her father passed away and it, raised by her mother as a Catholic. And when she was 12 years old, she had decided she was going to do something to serve and give her life to the service of Christ. She didn't know what it was. At 19 years old, she packed up and she went to India and she became a school teacher in a Catholic school. And for 17 years, she worked in this school and she, and, and she did a good job, but they were mostly people that were from well-to-do backgrounds that could afford to go to a private Catholic school. And every single day for 17 years, she walked down the streets of this Indian city and saw the poverty, and saw the slums, and saw these destitute people, and never really gave it much mind. But one day she was walking home from work, and she heard a groaning in the evening. And she looked in the ditch, and there was a woman who was lying there, emaciated, dirty, covered in sores, and clearly dying. She went down, and she picked the woman up, and she was so emaciated, she was, there was nothing left of her she could carry her. And she walked down the street to the hospital and the hospital refused because she was of the lowest caste and she had no money. And so she went to the next, the next hospital and they refused because she wasn't of the right caste. And then she went to a third hospital and they refused. And she thought, what am I going to do with this dying woman? So she decided to take her to her own home and she put her in her own bed and she changed her clothes and she washed her wounds 
and she tried to feed her, but she was too far gone. And in the last moments of her life, she was holding her head up like this. And this woman opened her eyes and said two words, thank you. And then she died. And in that moment, Agnes came to a realization. And she said this in her heart, a determination, that as long as there is a God in heaven, no one should ever die alone. She went back to the school. She says, I need to change the direction in my life. I'm not going to be teaching anymore. I want, to put to, I want to start a hospice. I want to start a home where people would be able to come, people who can't afford it, people who are alone would be able to die in dignity, the poorest of the poor. So that's what she started to do. And the people started to join her. And, and she added another home and another home. And it began to grow. And it became, actually became a going concern where people started to come alongside and work alongside Agnes. And, and then in, in 1979, uh, the world took notice. And they awarded her the Nobel Peace Prize. By this point, most of you are figuring out that Agnes, Agnet Bohashu is her name, the Albanian nun, is, of course, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And this is how she began. It took her 17 years to realize that, there, that every little person matters. And by the time she died in 1997, there was 400 chapters of her Missionaries of Charity. She had 133 cities around the world that she was in, 133 countries, rather. There was 4,000 employees and tens of thousands of volunteers. And her life changed because she recognized one simple thing that there is no such thing as a person whose life does not matter. Every little person matters. So how are we going to really impact our world? By remembering that every little thing matters. Every little word matters. Every little prayer matters. Every little person matters. And as Mother Teresa once said, we can do few great things for God. Only small things in great love. Let's stand together. So let's take a moment here today. I want to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment if you would. And I know that there are people in this room that have not made that decision to follow Christ. And every little life matters, including yours. And if you were the only person on this planet, Jesus would have gone to the cross and died for your sin. And if you've never come to that place where you've accepted the work of the cross, if you've never come to that place where you've said yes to him, I want to give you an opportunity to do it today. Meaning you're not sure if you were to die tonight or this week or this year, if you go to heaven, I'm talking to you. Your life matters. And I'm not going to call you forward or single you out. I'm not going to ask you to say anything publicly. But right where you are, if you would like to make that decision to be a follower of Jesus today, I want you to just slip up your hand. Just take a moment, slip up your hand. Let me see it. Once I've seen it, you can put it down. Just take a moment here. This morning, thank you at the far side. We had many, many people in the first service, and I know there's people in this service. Maybe you knew them in the past and you've slipped away and it's time for you to come back. Why don't you slip up your hand? Just take a moment. Let me see that hand. Once I've seen it, you can put it down. Thank you. All right. Super. All right. You can all put down your hands. We're going to pray together. And you know what? It's going to be a very little prayer, very simple little prayer, because that's all it takes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross. That you died for my sin, rose again on the third day, and forever live to be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Every little prayer matters, and you just said it.
Let's give Jesus a hand, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.